Six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, going insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the brain. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hey guys, this is Coffee Chug, and thanks so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. It really means the world to me. This episode is amazing and wonderful, and an episode that has actually caused me to get out and actually do the stuff that was being shared in this podcast by uh, Sarah. So before I get into this amazing podcast about literacy and makerspaces and and making with reading and learning, um, if you listen to this podcast and you like it, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it if you would take time to leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform it is that you use. Um, it really helps me out quite a bit and helps spread the message of these amazing educators who are taking time out of their day to talk with me and share everything that they have um, with you for free at no cost, with just the hopes that it inspires you to take action. So um, if you could take time out to review, that would be fantastic. And without further ado, let's jump right into this podcast with Sarah Loomis, an amazing educator doing amazing things, pushing the boundaries of how we think about reading books and making in the makerspaces. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This is Coffee Chug, and as always, I am here with another outstanding educator. Educator, And today, we're going to be talking about makerspaces, but not just makerspaces, something really fascinating that, that this educator has, has really found a way to blend some things in. And so before we dive into those topics, you probably want to know who you're listening to. So Sarah, could you let everybody know who you are and uh, what you do? First, I'd like to say hi to all of your listeners, and um, my name is Sarah Loomis, and I have the distinct privilege to work overseas on an air base, and I get to work with our military's children, and so I work at a school called Kaiser Slaughter Elementary, and I am an employee of the Department of Defense Education Activity Schools, and at this school, I have the best job in the world, I think, because I get to work with every single classroom teacher and all students. Um, My focus is to help teachers um, plan, learn, and um, find the best ways to integrate technology um, into what they're doing, but in meaningful ways. That's awesome, and and you're doing some some amazing things, which is I think what what what, the, what we need to get out for everybody to hear. Um, I was lucky enough to sit in one of your presentations um, at the at the ISTE conference for for Microsoft stuff, and you had a session where you were talking about makerspaces. Um, and before we get into the literature piece, maybe let everybody know kind of kind of how do you operate the makerspace, or, or how do you how do you envision makerspaces? Because I think 
everybody hears the word, but everybody kind of has like a slightly different take. Um, so what does Makerspace mean to you? And, and what's some of your just general experiences with, with, with kind of making this happen with all the students that you get to work with? Well, I got inspired when I became a Microsoft Innovative Educator Expert by all of the MIEEs that I had met. And um, I really hadn't had a lot of experience with Makerspace. And um, most of the Makerspaces I had seen were like these big rooms where there was all this equipment and tools that just looked amazing because students came in and they were making, they were being the creators. But um, I knew we weren't going to have that kind of a space. And so I wanted to still be able to come up with something where students could be creators and not consumers. And so um, that was where I got this idea that we're going to talk about today from, was the idea that my students and our school should still be able to experience Makerspace, but I just went about it at a much uh, lower key and low cost level um, entry. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. And I, and I think what you've done speaks volumes to so many educators who, who are in the same boat as you. You know, you can go on social media and you see so many amazing ideas, but they require thousands of dollars or these magical spaces that a lot of schools just don't have. And you just can't magically go go build these rooms and, and come across, you know, all this money to make it happen. But I think even though your idea is low key, it's really, really powerful. And so what, what Sarah has done, what we're talking about here is she has found a way to integrate literature and the idea of maker spaces into one, which I just think is so fabulous. It's something that I've just ever since she she shared this idea I've just been exploring and exploring and exploring. Um, so, Sarah, why don't you tell, talk a little bit about how you kind of brought literature, um, um, these books, and the maker spaces kind of into like one cohesive idea? Yeah. So, um, because I'm never in the same place uh, and I don't have the same uh, schedule every day, I needed to come up with a way to um, create a space that students could come to, but that there was still some adult supervision around. <laughs> right, and right. So, um, I, I started collaborating with my media specialist or my librarian, and I said, one of the things I really want to get kids thinking is that when they're reading and they're engaged in uh, this story and a character, I want their brain to start thinking about, well, what can I create? Right. What's my, how can my writing even become more creative because of the mindset I now have when I read? I'm not just only reading for pleasure, but I'm also reading with the idea of, well, what could I make from this experience in this story? So um, I am not uh, the expert in my library, and so I tapped into her vast knowledge and said, can you come up with some books? Can we look through the library and see just right off the bat what kind of books we could find that inspire students to take risk and to go out there and dream bigger ideas to create something? And so she and I went through the library and um, I, for my first round, I came up with like 15 different books. And how we were going to run it is um, 
Our elementary school teachers have library time every week. And it's for around somewhere between 35 and uh, 45 minutes. Okay. So I also needed it to be one of these places, my maker space that I was building. Um, it needed to be self-driven by the students, but also not totally disruptive to the library's learning environment. <laughs> right, yeah. And so <laughs> um, what, what we did, and it worked really great for us, is um, for the first week, um, every class that came through, we read three stories to them. And these three stories were the foundation of our makerspace until our classes got through them. And when the class came the following week to the library for their library time, four to six students got to come over to the makerspace and then they were self-directed to do the activities that they wanted to do around the idea of the children's literature. And so um, there were some real basic um, directions, uh, you know, like you had to keep your voice to a level where it wasn't disruptive to the other learning going on. Um, and then you can't quit. Right. And that's pretty much all that there was. And I really didn't have a clue how this was going, what was going to be the end result of this. And um, I was hoping that it would stir a greater love of reading for kids and also get them to be thinking more about becoming the creator I knew each of them possess inside. So what ended up happening was of course, you know, those amazing moments that we get all the time as educators, it goes beyond what we ever dreamed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and um, like I had one, just a couple stories, one boy say, I had no idea I could think like this. Oh, because when they come to the makerspace, the first few rounds I was sitting there and I didn't, I didn't do anything except make sure that it would run itself because I didn't know. And um, they would come over and say, well, what should we do? And I'm like, I am not here. <laughs> you have to figure this out. But you didn't tell us exactly how we should do this. That is right. You think about it. You have a partner. Figure it out. And um, it really was a light bulb moment for me as an educator wondering, do I give too many directions and I'm doing the thinking for my students instead of them doing the thinking. And so that was a great learning moment for me as a teacher. But then to see the student realize he could think such bigger ideas than he had ever thought. And I had a, another girl say, Mrs. Loomis, I'm a quitter and I, I don't wanna be. And I go, well, tell me more about what you mean when you say that. And she said, I tried it my way, it didn't work, and so I quit. Hmm. And hmm. then my partner said, well, this part of your design worked, so can we try it a different way? And she said, but I told him no, because it was already not working. And so he just started working, and eventually I started working with him, and I realized we made it work. And so she goes, I am not going to be a quitter any longer. 
And so those little <laughs> moments, that's what we want to build in our students that it's okay to fail. Find what worked. And it's just another iteration. Right. And so, um, like when students were leaving school, because we have a, a 33% about population that turns over every year because their parents are being moved to a, a new location in the world. And um, teachers oftentimes let them have, you know, the last 30 minutes of that day in our school to do something special with a small group of friends. And the maker space became the place those kids wanted to come. And so it, it, it just, it just became something so much greater than I had ever anticipated. I love it. And I think what, what, what you've done is created a, an environment where they get to be learners and, and not just students, where I think, you know, I always envision this idea of, of a student, you know, sitting and almost the, the, the teacher just piling in information themselves, whereas a learner, you're, you're making that learning. You're, you're kind of filling your own pail. And I love that story about the girl. I'm a, I'm a quitter. I don't want to be. And I think that's so... That's such a powerful moment for anyone and to realize, you know, to also realize, too, I think that idea where something isn't working and it's OK to stop there. But then to pick another pathway doesn't mean that you just give up on it, you know, and learning when it's not working to stop and then make that new iteration like you talked about. I just that's awesome. I just it gives me chills when you're talking I'm like, yes, that's that is what it's about right there. It is. And um the, the ones that we're starting next week, um, it, it challenged me to have to come up with some, to step back, because let me give you the, the background. And one of the stations, that's not a station, but one of the options the students can choose is um, based on Marco Polo's trips on the Silk Road. And um, so we have children's literature, but then sometimes we, I like to incorporate the nonfiction, but not the entire nonfiction book, maybe just a section of it. Okay. And um, I wanted the students to have to uh, learn to weave. But I really, I realized that they have that exposure to over, under, over, under, over, under, mathematical AB patterning and stuff um, in a lot of their classes. But what they hadn't had exposure to was to create the loom. Mm. And so my first instinct was to give them all the directions to how to build the loom so they can start weaving. But then I stepped back and I'm like, oh my gosh, no, I'm doing what I learned last um, spring but forgot. And I'm giving too many directions. And so now I'm saying... Here are different supplies, make a loom. And if they get to weave, great. But the whole purpose is that building of a loom. And so uh, I'm very excited uh, to start the next round. Uh, we, uh, we do it quarters two, three, and four because first quarter is just so slammed with so many assessments and um, just establishing routine. And so um, I'm looking forward to trying out uh, three brand new or four brand new books and activities. And for me, I'm doing the same thing that I'm asking the kids to do because I'm learning what my ideas, how they're working and what's not working about it. This is an iteration for me as well. And if it's not going well, I'm going to have to see what does go well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what doesn't. But, you know, I have to, I'm going to tell everyone, 
there are things that we forget as teachers of um, just some basic ideas. Um, for example, one of the stories was about these two mice that were going to the roller coaster um, park for the first time as a celebration to something they had done at school. And I had asked my students to create something that would cause a marble to travel the farthest it could. And I gave them just one um, toilet paper roll, um, some four by six index cards, and um, tape. Of course, a marble, marble as well. But so many of the kids just set the four by six index card flat. Mm. And I'm like, Okay, and I'm watching and I'm like, what are they going to do with that? And they had no idea to take the, the index card and make it into something other than what it was purposed for. Ah. And that was like, okay, there's another, we just have to give kids opportunity to use things for what they're not supposed to be used for so that they start getting that idea in their mind of, Okay, well, I, I need to do this, but all I have is this. So what? how can I make it do what I want it to do? And so um, I think that uh, all of you that are out there considering doing a makerspace, it doesn't have to be something huge to get huge results. And it's just a first step. Um, I didn't have the funding to get all the cool um I really wanted to get like strawbies and all these little creatures that we could program and code, but we just didn't have the funds for that. And so, but I didn't want to keep waiting to get funding to start. So that's where this idea um, came from. And I, I love that so much because I think that's definitely where the majority of educators are. You know, I, I love these ideas. It'd be great, but... I don't have the money. I'd love to do this, but I don't have this. You know, we always have this this but, which is a very real big reality for so many people because it, it is what you deal with. But it doesn't mean that it's we can't do anything. And what you've done is you've taken your situation and you've put in powerful learning that doesn't cost thousands of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, in, in the one note, which I'll make sure that I that I share in the show notes, you have listed over 20 books of how things um, of, of how you can take a book and adapt it to the making and, and the doing, which is, is so fabulous. Um, if you had to pick like one that you've done so far, and I love it that you have even four more new ones getting ready to roll out, and, and it, one of those may trump your, your idea now, but what's one of your, if, if someone's listening going, okay, I want to give this a start, I want to make it happen, what's like, like one of the books that you think is connects well with, with, with reading and the kids and, and it's really easy to make, or at least get started with? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I did a book called Eco Mazes last year, and um, it's a book that um, introduces students to the idea of the different biomes and different ecosystems around our world. But the cool thing about it is it's an ecosystem maze. So as you're looking at the book, you have to take Let's say in the Arctic, uh, there's um, all these different ice flows and there's a polar bear and uh, you have to move a boat through where the icebergs aren't. So they have these little open water places. 
And so you're learning about like the different animals that live in that um, ecosystem. Um, and then you have to go through a maze to accomplish what it is it says on the, each page. Well, so I just got the tops of all of the boxes from um, where our supply guy leaves our paper next to the copy machine. <laughs> and um, I had to buy straws, but that was probably um, the only expense to this project. And then the students designed a maze at, inside the top of that box top that a marble had to travel. And I challenged them to create um, where the marble gets caught or goes through a trap, which is, you know, they just loved that, making a little hole at the box so the marble, you know, fell out when it wasn't supposed to. But, like, what I didn't think was going to be a challenge is, like, some students didn't think about the 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 width or i'm going to say like how wide that marble was so then how far did those pieces of straw that they cut and put down on their board mm. had to be apart so that the marble could actually even travel and so again it was this the thinking that i hadn't maybe seems natural to us as adults the students were like oh this isn't working we didn't make it wide enough and so they take it all apart and do it again. Well, so from that experience, um, I have a collaborative project with one of my teachers this year um, based on a student's idea. And the student said, Mrs. Loomis, we should actually build big mazes and have it three-dimensional where we actually build the, the actual living things that live in there. So they wanted to create the plants and the landforms and the animals and put them in the maze. So that when you are rolling the marble, the marble is actually going through the ecosystem. Oh, I love it. I love it. I know. Isn't that great? And so that's, that's them contributing to something I'm going to do this year as a co-teaching opportunity with a classroom teacher. And um, one, I have a couple of students that have asked if they could build it in Minecraft. And so... Um, those, I think there's four students that are going to do that, but the rest of the students just really want that hands-on opportunity. So I went down to our local grocery store and the boxes that like the apples come in are quite large. And so I asked for 50 of them and it took a couple of weeks to get enough, but now I have all these huge boxes and, and we're gonna create the mazes in that. That's awesome, I love it and I think what you're doing is so great. And I think even that idea where the kids have come up with their new ideas, I think, you know, it goes back to, to what you said several times here in this podcast, that when we don't limit the kids with rubrics and instructions and how to do everything step by step, that they're able to soar and come up with, well, why can't we do this? And why can't we add the, the eco stuff? And why can't we do, you know, like the brain just goes when we give them that freedom. And I think sometimes that's it's, it's, it's easier said than done, but it's so powerful and important that we continue to not give them the scripted step-by-step -step because where their brains go, you know, I think that's the excitement of, of teaching when a kid goes and gives you that idea and you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's so amazing. I love it. And it just reminds us to step back and I, I, I'm a chatter, so I have to put my hands over my <laughs> mouth so I don't keep chatting and saying, oh, how about... That's an awesome idea. Could you do this? And so I have to just kind of step back. You guys figure it out. And um, 
and they always do. And it, it sometimes it takes a little longer than you're like, oh, it's right there. Just do that. Oh, nope, nope, it's not gonna happen. But but then it's when it happens on their terms, that light bulb goes off, and it is a moment that they will always remember. But when it's done on my terms, it may not be something that um, is uh, as memorable as when they discover their own learning. I love it. And I think that's the key. That phrase right there is, is it. Let them discover their own learning. Uh, that, that, that's so powerful. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you for your time. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and just thank you so much. You've just dropped so many little infinite nuggets of wisdom here today. And I'll be sure in the show notes to, to share out. Um, Sarah has an amazing sway. She has a, a OneNote loaded with over 20 books of how you can incorporate and how she's made these ideas happen. So if you're looking to get started, um, she, she's already helped you make that happen. But then the idea, hopefully, the challenge to, to the listener is to find your own books and find your own challenges and when you have that, make sure you, you, you continue the cycle of, of sharing and, and letting everybody else know the amazing things that all educators are trying to do. Sarah, exactly. thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. No problem. And if anyone wants to chat or get in touch with me, I would love to uh, learn about great books that you have as well. Yes. And we'll make sure that uh, we get your con- contact information in the show notes in case people have questions or want to reach out to you too. We'll make sure we get that in there. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so